So, Lord, we just ask that you'd speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's my privilege to be able to speak this morning and for the next two weeks. It's like first time ever I've got three weeks in a row. So um, it's a bit, it's cool because like you get to sort of explore something over a few weeks. And um, it's also holidays, so if you don't come back next week, I won't be offended because I'll just assume you're on holidays and, um, you know, what's the worst can happen. So anyway, no, I hope you come back next week. Um, but I wanted to, over the next three weeks, we're just going to dive into this passage, these six verses. We're going to look at them for three weeks. And basically, there's three invitations that the author gives us. He says, let us draw near, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So those are the three things we're going to look at. Drawing near, holding fast, and then stirring up each other. And um, I guess part of the reason is, this is something I was so convicted of uh, a couple of weeks ago on, on my schoolies rev trip. Um, I was in the Philippines, and um, it was the second Friday of the trip. So it was about day 11, day 12. Um, we just spent, it's about our fourth or fifth day at YWAM where we were staying. And we had done a lot of kids' ministry. Oh my goodness, I was wrecked. I was just so over kids. Like, I don't know how parents do it, man. I was like, I was tired. And I wasn't sleeping well at all. Like, I was like sleeping real bad. At like five o'clock, there's roosters and dogs and cars going past. And it was like, I was having, I was like, up to here, you know. And then, of course, Friday morning is base worship. The whole base draws together for worship for an hour and a half. Now, usually that's something, like, I jump at, but I'm, like, an hour and a half. Like, oh, man, I, I could use that big time to sort of have a little nap or whatever. Like, I don't know about you. Like, maybe that's just me. I'm sure none of you have ever had anything similar um, where you've not felt like doing something for God, but, like, oh, it's just not feeling it. And then we came into the place, everyone introduces himself, and then the guy leading worship reads these verses. And he gets to that part where it says, let us draw near. And it was this experience that I've never had before where those words just like literally pierced. Like I was like straight away, like it was like they were louder than all the other words. Like they literally, I feel like the Spirit convicted me of like this privilege that I have to draw near. Like, let us draw near. And I just sort of kept praying that. And I was like, literally in that moment, I was like, I was about to cry and like, like fall down. I was like, oh gosh, Joel, keep it together. We haven't even started, you know. You know, you're not like that. Anyway, um, and I was just like, I was so convicted in that moment that like, I have an opportunity to draw near and yet I can't be bothered or I'm too lazy or I'm too tired or 
you know, it's not quite what I'm feeling like at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Like, and God just grabbed me and it just, I just kept praying it. I kept repeating it. Like, let me draw near, let me draw near. And that was really the moment where I'm like, because I had no idea what I was going to preach on for these few weeks. And then I really felt like God was like, yeah, this is, this is the one. And for me, as I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks, just that idea of like, what does it look like for me to draw near to God? Like, literally, there could be nothing more important in our lives than to draw near to God, when you really think about it. Yet often, our default mode is to drift away. And um, it's actually something that the author of Hebrews talks about. Um, Now, we don't know who wrote the letter or the book of Hebrews. It's unknown who wrote it. Um, The audience is most likely Jewish Christians who are living in Rome, Um, who are being persecuted, who are being tempted by all these different ideas and theologies and stuff, false teachers. And in Hebrews chapter 2, or Hebrews chapter 1, it says that God has spoken through the Old Testament, he's spoken through the prophets, but now he's spoken to us through his son. And his son is the full revelation, the full representation of God's being. And therefore, what the son has spoken is sort of the fulfillment of the Old Testament and he's the greater revelation. So that's what Hebrews 1 says. And then Hebrews 2, it starts like this. It says, therefore, so because what Jesus has spoken is so great, because of the revelation of Jesus, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. If you flip the verse around, it says, we drift away from it unless we pay closer attention to what we've heard. And I just think that is the nature of our human hearts and our sinful hearts is that we naturally drift away from God. We naturally drift away from what's important. Yeah? I mean, even if you think about New Year's resolutions, you know, we're going to talk a little about that today. Every year, if you look at the most popular New Year's resolutions, they're always the exact same for the last, like, 10, 20 years. It's like, get more, get healthier, do more exercise, save more money, spend more time with family, travel more, you know, hang out with my friends more. You know, all these things that are so important that you think would eventually catch on that those are important and we don't need to make the same resolution every year. I mean, I've been making the resolution to eat healthier and do more exercise every year for the last however many years, you know. But we just naturally drift away from what's important. And even more so, we naturally drift away from God. The, the term drift away is actually like a marine term. It's a boat without anchor, a boat that just casually drifts away, subtly but slowly and surely drifting away from the security and from what holds it firm. So this morning, our focus as we dr- is what if instead of drifting away, what if we do the opposite and actually draw near? What does that look like? How do we do that? Because surely that is so important for our lives. Like surely that is the most important New Year's resolution you could make. The most important decision you can make in your life that instead of drifting away from God, I'm actually going to draw near to him. Because that's the invitation in our verse. Let us draw near. It's not a commandment. It's not like you must do. It's an invitation. Let us. Let us draw near to him. And surely that is, like even just logically speaking, if God is who he says he is, If God is the creator of the world, the king of all kings, the Lord of lords, the one who saved us, the one who sanctifies us, the one who continually is 
provides and heals and does all like if God is who if that's what we believe wouldn't that not drawing near to him be the most important thing like what could be more and more important than that for us to devote our life to our time our money our energy surely that is the most important thing and really my prayer is that this morning that we would actually make that a decision and a commitment so that you know maybe at the end of next year we can look back and go what well, you know what 2019 was the year i drew closer closer to god and would that not be the most important thing and the most awesome thing if we could do that so that's what we're going to look at this morning and we're going to look at firstly why that can happen and to how that then happens so the book of hebrews is like it's a pretty interesting book it's pretty like tough to read because it's full of imagery and symbolism from the Old Testament uh, because it's written to Jewish Christians so it goes heavy on the you know theology of the Old Testament the sacrifice system the priesthood system and all this stuff Um, and then particularly in chapter 10 we need to look at the context of our verses here we get four big statements about the nature of sin sacrifice and forgiveness Four really key statements. So we're going to look at those quickly. Verse 4, it says this, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So that's the first thing the author says. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Because in the Old Testament, what happened is that every day, the people of God had to make sacrifices. They had to sacrifice an animal or burn something to atone for their sins, to cover for their sins. Because sin separated us from God. Because God is so perfect and holy, we were so far from that. So there needed to be something that bridged that gap. And so every day the sacrifices would be made. And even more so than that, there was one day a year called the Day of Atonement where the great high priest would be able to go into the very presence of God and offer a specific sacrifice for all the people. One day a year, one person could go into the most holy place. And he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of all the people. But what the author of Hebrews is saying is that those things were temporary. Those things uh, were not lasting because they couldn't change people's hearts. They couldn't take away the sins. They could cover for them, but couldn't take away. And so that leads to the second proclamation that he makes in verse 10. By that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And that phrase, once for all, is the key one. That Jesus has offered his body once for all. One time, one sacrifice to cover all sins of all time. That Jesus completely changes the system. He fulfills the system. The third thing they says in verse 14, for by a single offering he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now this is a verse that I and probably many of us would quickly just read over, but when you actually stop to think about it, it's, it doesn't make sense. That, that Jesus through his offering, through his giving of his body and dying on the cross, he has perfected us, but, he, but we're being sanctified. Like they are two different, being sanctified means that we're not perfect. Being sanctified means that we're being made new, we're being cleaned, we're being coming like Christ. It's a process and yet 
he also says that we've been perfected. Which you go, well, how does that work? And the truth of the cross is that in our position with God, in our standing with God, we are perfect. He looks at us and he sees us as clean. In Ephesians 2, it says we're seated in the heavenly places, that we're citizens of heaven, according to Paul in Philippians 3. So in our position with God, we're perfect. But in our life, we are being sanctified. We're continually being made new because sin is still uh, an issue. We've still got a broken world, and so we're still being made new. And it's this paradox that finds its, I don't know, it's a faith thing, isn't it? That we believe that we're perfect through Christ, but we're also being perfected as we live this life. So I just wanted to pause on that one because I think it's important to recognize that we're perfect in our standing with God, but we're being perfected as we live with him. And then the last thing that the writer of Hebrews says in verse 18, he says, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. So in 18 verses, we've gone from the sacrifices of old cannot take away sins. Jesus has come and he's done that. We're perfect and being perfected and there's no longer any need for offering of sacrifices. It's done with. You're forgiven. It is finished, is what Jesus said. Now, why is that all important? Because our verses start in verse 19. First word is, therefore. And when it says therefore, you need to ask, what is it therefore? And what it's therefore is that Paul has spent 18 verses explaining how Christ's sacrifice has finished everything. Therefore, what does our verse say? Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, let us draw near. So we draw near because we have this confidence that Jesus has done the work. We have this assurance, this confidence. This confidence that there's a, there's a new and living way. That Jesus has given us access to the holy places. Very intentional language. The holy place was the place where one person could go once a year. And now through Jesus, we have unlimited access into the presence of God. So much so that God lives with us. He lives in us because of what Jesus has done. We should have this confidence that we can draw near to God. His sacrifice was once for all. It doesn't need to be repeated. It is finished. And we have this forgiveness. We have a perfect standing with God. And so we can approach him with confidence. See, when we receive Jesus as our King, when we accept the saving work of His life and His death and His resurrection, we can boldly approach the throne of God. And part of my prayer this morning is that we would actually see what a privilege that is. Like what a privilege it is for us to draw near to God and the fact that He's done all the work so that it can happen. So let us draw near to God, confident, confident that he is who he says he is and that he's done the work, that we can have confidence through the cross.
The second thing that we have is important. The second reason why it says, since we have confidence. And then later on in verse 21, it says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to him. See, the priest was the one who stood in the gap. The priest is the one who stood in the gap between God and the people of God. The one who offered the sacrifices and the one that, I guess, connected God to his people. Interceding for them, offering the sacrifices, teaching and helping God's people connect with God. What our verse says is that Jesus is the greatest person to do that. And when you look at Hebrews and how else the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus being a priest, we get these verses in Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So in these verses we get the same combination of words that we get in the text in in chapter 10. We have a great priest. We're called to draw near with confidence. And in Hebrews 10, it's confidence in the death of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. In Hebrews 4, it's confidence in the life of Jesus and the fact that he's lived as we've lived. He's been tempted just as we've been tempted. He's, he's, he's seen and he's felt the weaknesses that we feel and yet he did not sin. And so therefore, we can draw near to God with that confidence because he knows. He knows the pain that we feel. He knows the weaknesses and the temptations that we go through. And so we don't draw near to a God who just sits in heaven not knowing what's happening in our lives, but we draw near to a God who, like we celebrated last week, has come down to earth, who's put on flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, who came and lived just like we lived. And so he knows the pain and he knows the struggle. And then he invites us then to draw near with confidence, knowing that he sympathizes with our weakness. So we approach God with confidence, one, because of the cross and the death of Jesus, but also because of the life of Jesus, that he knows the road that we travel. And we can turn to him and find grace and mercy. So essentially, the key part of the message is that the work has been done. The way has been opened, so let us draw near to God. The old system is done with. Jesus has done everything that we need to then draw near and have a relationship with him. So this is not just about having more intellectual knowledge. It's not about being able to answer every question and being like smarter Christians in 2019. This is about drawing near and having a deeper relationship with God next year. And there's a big difference in what that looks like. So may we draw near. You know, I was at the cricket on Friday and I got very sunburnt uh, because my mum's not here and she didn't tell me to pack sunscreen. Um, So I was sitting there and and what I loved about the cricket is when Australia are bowling and Pat Cummins has just taken four wickets. He's like, the guy's on fire and he comes down to third man right near the boundary and as soon as he comes near, what what, what do you see happen? All these kids just start running from the back. 
They've got their bats, they've got their tops, and they're like on the edge, like leaning over as far as they can to like call him over and get his signature. And that was the picture. And I saw that and I just go, man, what if that was us with God? That God has done everything he's need, like God has done everything to come like right up into the fence. And you know, like what was I, like I wasn't up near the fence. What was I doing? I was sitting there watching, like getting sunburnt, you know, just not doing anything. But like when you think about it, I had an opportunity to go and get the greatest cricketer of Australia and get his autograph. And I'm just sitting there at the back, just chilling. You know, and I think that's for me the picture that I have in my relationship with God. And maybe you can relate where God's right there. And instead of leaning over the fence, getting as close as I can, like wanting so much for him to come and like meet with me and give me his autograph, I'm just sitting up in the seats, just, it's not that important. Or there's other things I could be doing. I'd much rather be sitting next to this person and chatting to them or, you know, I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to, do you know what I mean? What if we would actually do everything we can to draw near? Because I think that's the craziest thing as Christians, that Jesus has done everything, that everything. He did all the work so that we can have a relationship with him and that we just sit back, remain passive, just watch and observe and just wait for things to happen. It used to be a system of one person, one day a year, will get to go into the presence of God. And we have unlimited access now through Jesus. And yet we spend more time on our phones. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, my prayer this morning is that we'll just see how much of a privilege it is that we get to draw near to God. That that he has come and he's set the direction of your life. So, you know, if you're unsure, what does, what's the, you know, people often ask me, what are you doing next year? And I go, oh, I'm not quite sure, you know. If you're not sure of the direction of your life, here it is. Draw near to God. Like, that's the direction. If, if, if you believe in Jesus and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, then that is the direction of your life, to draw near to him. Simple as that. Like, what could be more important? For us to draw near to God. And what's the catechism say? Question, question answer one. What is, the chief end, what is the chief end of man? To glorify him and to enjoy him forever. First question. Most important. What's the purpose? What's the chief end of man? That we would glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's the direction of our life. That's the purpose of it. I mean, that's what Paul writes in Philippians 3. He says, the one thing that I do, and this is Paul, he's planting churches, he's on the mission, he's being persecuted, he's getting shipwrecked and he's doing all these crazy things. And he says, no, the one thing that I do is I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead, which is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The one thing he does, forgets everything else, strains towards the call of Christ. He says it more clearly in, earlier in the chapter. He says in verse 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Everything else is rubbish. The one important thing is that I may gain Christ. It's the surpassing worth of knowing him. So may we draw near. That is the direction of our lives. That is the invitation before us. And so how do we do that? What's the important things? What, what must we have to do so? You know, I've got a whole bunch of practical ideas of how, how that might look, but we're going to look at God's Word and what He says in our verse. It says, Let us draw near, firstly, with a true heart, secondly, in full assurance of faith, and thirdly, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Those are the three things. So firstly, with a true heart. Jeremiah 29, verse 12, not verse 11. Everyone knows verse 11, but verse 12, it says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. In John chapter 4, Jesus says a similar thing where he says, The hour is coming and is now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You know, so I think part of the thing this morning is we need to assess, do we have that true heart? Do we genuinely desire to draw near to God? We need to ask ourselves that question. We need to assess our hearts. Do we actually desire to draw near to God? If yes, fantastic. Seek him with all your heart and you will find him. If not, well, don't try and behave better. Don't try and do things yourself. What does Ezekiel 36 says? It says, and I, this is God speaking, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey all my rules. Here's the thing. God is the one who changes hearts. There's, there's nothing you can do to change the human heart. When it comes to the, a heart towards God, he's the one that changes it. He's the one that gives us his spirit. He's the one that causes us to obey him and to follow him. So don't seek the power to save or to sanctify or to change your own behavior. Don't, don't try and find that power in you know, being a better person or in just connecting with better people. No, the power to save and to change us is found only in Jesus. Only in the cross. That's where our confidence is. Not in our own actions, not in our own works, but our confidence is in what Jesus has done. So we need to ask him to change our hearts. We need to ask him to put his spirit within us, to help us to walk in his ways. And the beautiful thing, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. If then 
you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? May we seek God with all of our hearts. May we ask. May we seek. May we knock. Knowing that, that we have a good, good Father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. Like I said, like what greater thing could we, could we pursue with our lives? What greater thing could we search after? You know, as we head into this new year, would that be the number one priority for each of us? To draw near to a good, good father. Because, like, imagine if we did. Like, just, for a ma- just for a moment, like, imagine if next year, starting today, I know it's not quite next year, but, like, what if for the next year that we actually drew closer to God? Like, how great is God? How... How good is he? How loving is he? What are the four Advent words that we had? Love, joy, peace, hope. Like what if I knew, we knew each of those more because we drew closer to God? What if we experienced more of his healing and his restoration and his provision and his breakthrough because we drew closer to God? Like I said, could there be nothing, there's nothing greater we could search after. Nothing greater that we could pursue but to draw nearer to God. So we need a true heart. The second thing we need is a full assurance of faith. Once again, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a paradox because faith is uncertainty, doubt, unknown. But assurance implies confidence, you know, a firm, secure foundation. And we're called to have a full assurance of faith. And if you're not sure what that looks like, you need to read chapter 11. Chapter 11, it starts, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then it goes to talk about all these people in the Old Testament that lived by faith. So we're called to live in this full assurance of faith. It's, it's assurance knowing that God has done the work. Knowing that He's the one that saved us. He's the one that's making us new. He's the one that's going to return to judge heaven and earth, to judge all people. And so assurance should begin to change things in us. Assurance means that I'm not going to be stuck in guilt or shame because I'm assured of his grace and forgiveness. It means that I'm not going to be fearful that God might reject me or God might punish me because I'm assured of his his love. It's not being afraid of death, darkness, or the devil, but it's being assured that God holds us safe, that God has us in his hand and nothing can take us from that place. Now, I can't empirically prove each of those things to be 100% true, which is why it's called faith, but faith We should believe to a point where we actually have this assurance and this confidence and this trust that actually, you know what, that's what I'm believing, that's what I'm hoping for, that's what I'm building my life upon, that I can be assured of his grace and his love and his goodness. So how confident are you and God heading into this next year? 
How assured are you of his goodness and faithfulness? May we have a renewed confidence in who God is this morning and into this year. Confident that God is who he says he is. Confident in what God has done in our lives on the cross. Confident in what God is doing and what he has promised to do. And here's the thing. Assurance leads us to new expectations. If you're assured of something, then you have new expectations. Like I said, we're not expecting rejection or punishment or guilt and shame, but we're expecting that God will answer our prayers, that God will break through, that God's plan is perfect, that he's perfect in all of his ways and so we can follow, we can walk with him. We expect that, that God will speak to his people, that his word is alive and active. We expect that God will provide for us each and every day. Expect that even if we're weak, even if we're struggling, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Expecting that God is good and loving and that he's enough, that he alone satisfies. And we're going to look next week at the promises of God and holding fast to those things. But for tonight, for tonight, for today, we need to know that assurance leads to new expectations. That we see things differently because we're, we've got this firm foundation. And that these then expectations lead to new behavior. See, if I head into a soccer game expecting to score a goal, it's usually because I'm assured that the opposition goalkeeper is not very good. Do you know? I've seen him during the warm-ups. You know, he's not, he's not looking too good. All of a sudden, that gives me some assurance that if I shoot on goal, I'm likely to score. Yeah? It changes my expectations. If it's a really good goalkeeper, then... That changes things, but, you know, we don't talk about those times. Bad goalkeeper, I have new expectations, expectations, and therefore what do I do when I get onto the field? Well, I shoot the ball every opportunity I get. If I get close enough, if I'm open, I'm going to have a shot because I'm expecting to score because I'm pretty sure the goalkeeper is not very good. Do you know what I mean? So if we're assured of something, that then changes our expectations and which then changes how we live and how we act. So maybe the big key for us in drawing near to God is actually realigning what we believe with God's word. Actually realigning our thoughts and our attitudes to actually, what does God's word say about himself and about who he is? And maybe we just need to believe that more. Maybe we need to ask God to reveal himself again and to help us to believe in who he is. So we need a true heart. We need the full assurance of faith. And we need clean hearts and washed bodies. See, really, the big key for us in drawing near to God is actually, once again, recognizing our need for a Savior and receiving the forgiveness of Him. You very rarely draw near to God when you think you've got it all together. When you actually recognize that I don't quite need him. I'm, I'm sorted. I'm a pretty good person. I've got life figured out. That's when you start to drift away, not when you draw near. Drawing near 
when you look through the Gospels, the people that draw near to the God are the ones that fall on their knees and say, Lord, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. Will we be willing and ready to recognize our need for a Savior and receive his forgiveness? Jesus says it himself, he who is forgiven much loves much. It's not a matter of who sinned more. Romans 3 says we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But the one who recognizes that and receives God's forgiveness, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. So a big part of us drawing near, according to Hebrews, is that we actually need to confess our sin, receive the forgiveness of God. And that this is not just a one-off thing. This is a daily reoccurring occurrence. If you're anything like me, and you make some mistakes each day, some lots, whatever it is, if we recognize that, that I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm messed up, I'm broken, then each and every day I need to come back to God and receive that forgiveness, lest we drift away. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, what does Jesus... Jesus teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer, I think, every day. And what's a key part of that prayer? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Just like we talked about at the start, our confidence and our assurance is found in the cross. And that's what we need to keep coming back to. That's what we need to keep preaching to ourselves that the good news is good news for everyone for all time. Like you do not graduate from the gospel. There's no advanced levels. There's no, you know, the gospels isn't just for the non-Christians and for the little kids. It's for each of us to keep preaching to ourselves that I'm forgiven, that I'm saved and I'm loved, that he has died my death, that I might live his life. That is what we need to keep coming back to individually as a church to keep that central in everything that we do see maybe this year it's not a matter of are you going to sin or not I think the big question is for us when we do sin where do we go not saying that you know it's just acceptable just to sin as much as you like that's not what I'm saying but when we do fall short where do we go Do we go back to guilt and shame and trying to fix things ourselves? Or do we actually turn back to God and draw near to him who forgives and who loves and gives his grace and who then makes us anew and sanctifies us and makes us more like Christ? Where will you run? Where will you draw near? Will you drift away? Will you draw near to God? So I want to give you just one moment. So think about what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you this year? Technically next year, but you know what I mean. What does it look like for you to draw near to God? Practically speaking. Maybe for you, maybe you don't know God. Maybe you've never known what it's like to be a Christian. And maybe today is the day where you actually talk to someone and you find out what that actually looks like. Maybe it's going to be, you're going to just get stuck into his word and you're going to 
you know, create a plan to read his word. Maybe you're going to join with a group of people and pray regularly. Maybe you're actually just going to commit to church and to Sunday services and to a life group and whatever else. Maybe you're going to get more involved in, in worship or get more involved in a ministry or get more involved in a mission. Maybe you're just going to look at the people that you're hanging around with. Maybe you just need to slow down. I read this week that that hurry is the greatest enemy to spiritual growth. Maybe you just need to slow down and create some time to be with God. Whatever it is, I'm just going to take you, give you a moment just to think about how am I going to draw near to God this year? What does that look like? So I'm going to invite our music team up and we're going to finish with a song. And I just want to encourage us that what God's put on your heart. When you go home today, sometime this week, actually create an intentional plan of what that looks like and how that's going to work. What does it look like for us to draw near to God? What does it look like maybe for you in your marriage or in your relationship or in your family? What does it look like for us to draw near to God? And as we finish off with this song, which is Good, Good Father, I'm praying that God will remind us that he's good and that we're loved by him and that he calls us deeper still. And that would be the cry of our heart. This is what Eugene Peterson writes in the message in the verses that we just read. It says, So friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God, into the holy place, Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So, let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. I just love that. Like, let's do it. Let's not remain passive. Let's not, you know, sit back and watch. Let's actually... Let's do it. Let's draw near to God knowing that he's done everything needed so that we can. So even as we sing this song, I want to encourage you that you'd use this song as a time to draw near. Whether you want to sing, whether you want to turn to someone next to you and ask them to pray with you, chat with them, whatever it is. But even now, I know it's a bit late. Sorry, I've got a bit excited. But what if, just take the next five minutes, What if we just drew near to God in this time? So I'm going to invite you to stand and let's sing Good, Good Father.